I went on Shondaland.com. Every now and then, I like to go on there to look at any of the latest news and if she's got some book wrecks that I haven't heard of yet. So, I went on there recently and then I happened to click on the Inventing Anna tab. And I did not realize that there is a podcast. Now, this, it sounds like it came out after the limited series was released on Netflix. But I didn't know they had a podcast. So I gave it a listen and I did like it. I think it's like, okay, it's 12 episodes, 12 episodes, but they're not, they're not that long, you know, and it's, it's kind of formatted similar to the style of the limited series where it focuses on one person. So they interview, I forgot the host, her name, but they interview the real life people behind the Inventing Anna story. And I'm trying to think. You know, I really liked I liked Neff Davis, her episode. She's the one who was like the ride or die friend. And she lives in Brooklyn, which I found interesting I don't know why, but I guess because she's an actress, but she lives in Brooklyn. I just figured everyone was in L.A., you know, (laughs) but she lives in Brooklyn. And yeah, her episode is interesting. And then the former trainer, Casey Duke. Now, they said that there are some interesting details about her life. Wait, yeah, the life coach and former trainer. And that character is played by Laverne Cox. But I can't remember now what I was thinking of, but they said apparently she was a big deal in the 80s, it sounds like. And she helped put together some some of the big fitness centers. And I think, I can't remember if it was New York or, I'm thinking it was New York, but I I just didn't realize her impact. I mean, obviously, the story wasn't centered around her, so they weren't going to go into that. But just listening to her story on the podcast, it's pretty interesting. And I think that's a story worth telling on its own. (laughs) But we'll see, I guess. And then I wanted to point out the the lawyer, okay? <laughs> so the lawyer, now I can't, the lawyer really stood out in I want to say the last two episodes, maybe two or three episodes. I can't remember how many episodes he is in on the Inventing Anna limited series, but 
well, first of all, that finale, I mean, is epic. But he really stood out to me. And when you hear the real life lawyer on the podcast, I just have to say <laughs> that actor really nailed him. I mean, <laughs> the real life lawyer, let me get his name. Okay, I think it is, wait, Todd Spodak? Weighs in on, yeah, Todd Spodak is the real life attorney who handled the um, Anna Delvey case and was defending her. So he was on the podcast and he was talking about Anna and their, their relationship during the trial and how you know, what her demeanor was and her emotional state and everything like that. And I found him very empathetic. And I don't know why that surprised me, but he didn't see her as this bad girl or he, he, he didn't come across as judgmental. And I guess that is his role as her defense attorney and it really, he inhabited that role because I guess in order to defend, I don't know, but I guess it would be hard to do a good job if you are judgmental, but also like your, your moral, your morals in general just are incongruent with who Anna Delvey is. I think that kind of would come across... <laughs> in the courtroom but he talked about Anna and he said that she when it was all over he said she sent him the sweetest note and it, I just didn't see that in the limited series I didn't I don't know if maybe it was me but I didn't pick up on the intimate side of her. It just, she kind of seemed a bit hollow, but it wasn't, that's not a criticism. It's just, I think that's how they intentionally wanted to portray her. But when you listen to the podcast, almost all of them were talking about these different moments where she would just, Anna Delvey would, show a more personal side, but then the trainer, the trainer did say, Casey uh, Duke, she did say that she really never felt like she got to know Anna Delvey. So I think what I was seeing is what was coming across and how I was supposed to interpret it. Because I really couldn't tell who she was, you know. I mean, you could see her ambition, and you you, you know her objective, but as on a personal level, you really, you leave that limited series not really knowing much about her. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's how I felt about it, you know. She... She, she definitely was guarded. And maybe because she didn't have any family when she was in New York. But I, I just couldn't tell who she was. But I was just, when the lawyer said that she 
sent him this really nice note. I just, I don't know if they put that in the limited series or not, but him retelling the story showed a softer side of Anna. And they all, what I will say, they all seem to not have animosity towards Anna. Like, they can talk about her and what she did, but it's still, it's not coming from a place of malice. They're not resentful or they, they don't hate Anna for what she did. And they almost, they, there was some innuendo there that I interpreted as they kind of can see why she did it. And when I look at the limited series, and I'm probably going to rewatch it because I really loved the way they put that story together. But when I look at it, I can see how someone in her position, driven by ambition, but also on the outside, <laughs> I can see how she can just, with persistence, push through the nose to try to get where she wants to go. I mean, for someone who had, someone who came from an affluent and influential family, those ambitions would have been attainable. But someone like Anna Delvey, she comes from a poor background. Uh, she's She doesn't have close ties with her family. She doesn't have the finances. She doesn't have... Well, I'm not sure if she had the education because it sounded like she did go to school, but I can't remember now if she went to college or what happened there, but she just didn't have the business connections to get done what she wanted to get done. So if it were anybody else, you know, if it was somebody's daughter or somebody's son, what she was going for would have been attainable. But because she didn't have the family, she didn't have the money, and she didn't have the connections, which obviously that's everything you need, right? <laughs> but still, she didn't have it, so it's like, it was an audacious move for her to even be thinking that. But when I think about her still moving forward with her objective, which was, again, ambitious and maybe unrealistic <laughs> maybe just a little bit but for her to do that of course I'm not okay in illegal activity but when you look at that limited series I mean you know she would they had to make her pay a price because they, they I think the government and just everyone who has a say in the outcome, they couldn't let her slide because then that would send a message to others, you know, that, hey, why don't you go and try this too? And when I really think it through, it makes me think of what would have happened if she did get that million dollar loan. Because being that she didn't have the money, <laughs> if she would have gotten that loan, most likely a bank, whichever bank that was, would have collapsed and that would have led to people losing their jobs, 
people not getting approved for loans because you know those banks have to recoup their loss. And so that makes me think of the person who was approving the loan and not doing the checks and balances because he was putting people's jobs at risk, you know, and by people, just to be clear, we're talking about low income to middle income people, because I guarantee you the people at the top, they don't lose their their job. They rarely lose their job. When you lose money, when banks lose money, it's usually the people at the bottom who fail it. (laughs) And so when I think about if she were to get approved, it, it just reminded me of like the banks that the large banks that have failed like Wells Fargo, uh, Washington Mutual, when they were losing money because they were getting fined left and right for aggressive sales tactics. And so when the government came after them and they had to pay up, what ended up happening? People were losing their jobs and ended up on unemployment. And probably taking lower paying jobs just to have some kind of income. So when I think about Anna Delvey, I mean, she really put those banks at risk. And obviously she she needed to pay a price for that because she needed to learn a valuable lesson, obviously, but also the government needed to send a message to everyone not to try this. (laughs) But also it made me Think about that episode where the guy, and I can't remember his name, but the one who was getting her loan approved, he, I I noticed how they just kind of glanced over. (laughs) I think he got promoted or something. And yeah, it just seemed like he suffered no consequences for almost approving a multi-million dollar loan and being fooled so easily. And I'm just thinking to myself, this person (laughs) is like, he's a part of the team who's given out the yeses and the noes for loans. And yet he is that gullible. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and this is why when people act like, oh, if you're if you went to college, then you're smart. I'm just like, mm, but are you? <laughs> and not that I'm saying he's dumb, but th- th- this is one of those situations where you really need the combination of book smart and street smart. Because someone who is street smart would have seen through Anna Delphi. But you know, a 50-year-old upper-class man wouldn't see through her tricks because he's not around those kind of people <laughs> who are running game on folks. So, you know, he's not he's not keeping up with the latest scams, you know. And that's that's where being kind of narrow in your as far as who you will socialize with sometimes that can hinder your objectives because if you just surround yourself with diverse people from diverse backgrounds you know whether it's 
income, education, ethnicity, neighborhoods, whatever it is, but you surround yourself with a mix of people and you you will keep up on <laughs> what people are up to, okay? But just the fact that a lot of the men in this situation, it just seemed like their consequences. I Honestly, I don't remember them enduring any consequences, if we're being honest. I remember one of them got a raise. And I'm not sure. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. It's It's been a couple of months since I've seen the limited series. So maybe I'm wrong. But <laughs> I know Anna Delby got like three years in jail, something like that. And she was recently released, I think. And she stays in the news because I read somewhere that the... I think the building that she was trying to purchase for her foundation that was either up for sale or something. It was in the news recently. But I, I think we're not seeing the end of Anna Delby. I can see her making a comeback and everybody likes a good comeback, you know. But it, I'm still reading The Authority Gap. I'm finishing this up. This is by Marianne Sieghardt. And in here, it was talking about how women second-guess each other. And I think she called it internal misogyny. Let me... Yes. So she told a story, or she was... She was retelling a story about actress Anne Hathaway, who worked with a female director on the film One Day. The director's name is Lona Scherfig. And Anne Hathaway, she, I, I don't know if this was, I, it sounds like this interview was after the fact, after the, the filming of that movie, but she admitted that she second-guessed the female director it's, it sounds like every step of the way. And then she said she's not sure if it's because there was merit to her second guess in the director or if it's because she's so used to working with a male director. And it, it just, again, with the Anna Delvey story and how we, we look at this young girl, I'm sorry, young woman, She's like 20-something. But we look at her and we just, we kind of laugh at it. Like, how dare she? <laughs> That's kind of funny. She thinking she could do something like this. And I can only imagine how they, you know, the bank officials and the different other people she came in contact with, how they responded when they heard her intentions and what she wanted to do. Because, especially in that part of New York, <laughs> Yeah, I, I can only imagine the looks she got, the responses she got. And when I was reading this story about Anne Hathaway, first I want to say I'm glad she noticed in herself that she was wrong to bring those assumptions to the table when she was 
working with this woman. But it also, it just goes back to what we are taught about girls and women. And she does, she does go on to say she hopes, let me just look for this. She said, I have in the past focused on what was wrong with it. And when I see a first, wait, when I see a first film directed by a man, I focus on what's right with it. I focus on where he could go with the film. Wait, I focus on where he could go with the next one. And I focus on where she failed to go. (laughs) That's what actress Anne Hathaway said. And I just... I hope that we as women, we, when we see this, our introspection here is great, but I hope that sometimes we can just pause and take a look at how we are behaving towards one another so that we can work better with each other. Because I notice in, when I read about actresses in Hollywood, it does tend to always be about they didn't get along or I remember when Anne Hathaway, that movie came out with Anne Hathaway and Kate Hudson, the bride wars. And that was what they were talking about is how those two didn't get along. And I don't know if there's any truth to that, but that's what the gossip was. And with my best friend's wedding, I think the same thing happened with Julia Roberts and, Cameron Diaz and I mean I can go on and on and on but the gossip is always you know putting female against female and I just it was nice to see that Anne Hathaway she noticed her behavior and she did call herself out and said that was misogyny causing her to question this director's ability to direct but I hope she's doing a better job. I mean, I hope she's doing a better job now that she has reflected on that experience. Anyway, if you're curious about or if you're interested in more content related to the Inventing Anna, I will check out that podcast. Hey, let me see if it's a different name or well, I guess I did show you just now. <laughs> Let me go back up. I don't know what it's called. Uh, oh, okay. Easy enough. Inventing Anna, the official podcast. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, it, the interviews are pretty interesting. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. They referred to one of them as, oh, uh, it was Neff, Neff Davis. Wait, is that the right name? that the right one held up yes Neff Davis Shonda Rhimes she describes Neff Davis who is the one of the friends I don't want to call her a best friend because it didn't sound like they were best friends but she was one of the good friends who worked at the hotel and was letting 
and kind of stay there for a while for free. Uh, So uh, Shonda Rhimes referred to her as Barack Obama meets Beyonce. (laughs) I don't know if I got that from the performance, but I just, I was like, wow, that's that's pretty strong right there. (laughs) But anyway, I am going to wrap this up. If you did like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Let me know what you think of Inventing Anna. And do you think she'll make a comeback, like a legal one? (laughs) I mean, you know, because I I did hear she was getting deported. But I mean, I think I read she was getting deported. But it sounds like they put that on pause. So I'm thinking she's making a comeback. Like she's not going anywhere. But. I don't know, you know. I do not know. But yeah, that does it. So give it a like if you like this episode. Please consider subscribing if you enjoy this content. I upload videos every week, usually book or film related. And I will catch you in the next one. Thank you so much. Bye.